following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings, starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord build the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As sorrows are in the hand of a mighty man, sorry, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like for you to be in Psalm 127, but then also Ephesians 4. If you want to drop a piece of paper into Ephesians chapter 4, we will be there eventually. And if you are familiar with us having our series from the book of Romans, I'll just let you know that we're taking a break for the next four weeks away from the book of Romans, uh, and I'd like to speak to us for the next few weeks on parenting. The series a number of months ago on dating, and I'd like to do a series now on our homes and parenting. There are some major flaws and dangers in modern psychology. I've got a couple of quotes I'll read for you. Perhaps you can hear some flaws in them. I'll read from one book. It says this, Never, I'm quoting, Never hug and kiss your children. Never let them sit on your lap. If you must, kiss them on the forehead when they say goodnight and shake hands with them in the morning. Remember when you are tempted to pet your child that mother love is a dangerous instrument, an instrument that may inflict a never healing wound, a wound which may make infancy unhappy, adolescence a nightmare, an instrument which may wreck your adult son or daughter's vocational future and their chances for marital happiness. Don't ruin your children with affection. That seems a bit odd. You hug your kids or give, you should just give them a handshake in the morning. I cannot imagine. That was from a bestseller book by behaviorist J.B. Watson in 1928, and it was touted at the time as the, I quote, foolproof method of child rearing. That was as modern psychology came to the front. We come forward 45 years. Another psychologist in 1971 by the name of A.S. Neal proposed instead in in terms of learning, he proposed instead of traditional classrooms and schools that his quote, within six years from 1971, so that would be 1977, by that point, all schools will have no formal classroom, no structure, and no child will have to learn the three R's if they don't want to. In fact, 
four-letter words will be used often to get attention and hammer home a point. Please don't swear at my child when he comes to school. (laughs) Furthermore, he proposed that religion should not be taught to children because our concepts of God, heaven, hell, and sin are based on myths, and enlightened generations of the future will reject traditional religion. That was 1971. By the way, this is not new. It continues on to today. has been going on for thousands of years, we can say, as men seek for ways to put away the Word of God and come up with their own way of thinking. Modern day, Oprah has a lady by the name of Dr. Shefeli Sabari regularly to come on to her talk show. In the year 2010, Dr. Shefeli wrote a bestseller book that continues to this day to be in the top ten. Its book is called The Conscious Parent, and I'll read a quote from that. She says, If you understand that the inappropriate behavior of your children is a call to increased consciousness on your part, you're able to view the opportunities they afford you to grow differently. Instead of reacting to them, you look within yourself and ask why you react. In the asking, you open a space for consciousness to arise. In other words, when your rebellious child burns your house to the ground, don't ask why your house is in in a mess of ashes. Instead, ask yourself, why am I upset that my house is in ashes? Pop psychology is a shifting sand. It does not agree with itself throughout the ages, and there will come psychologists in the future who will not agree with the current ones. And yet, there is advice for you and I, parents, that has withstood the test of time and does not shift with popular opinion and continues to be true from generation to generation. And so this morning, I'd like to start off with giving us some biblical truth, and that truth is that children are a gift from God. Children that God has given to your family is not something that's there to test your patience or help you to rise to a new consciousness or somehow you have to figure out how to put away all of your affections so that you don't end up ruining their marital bliss. Please, instead, see them as they are a gift from God to you, a heritage, as Psalm 127 says. So I want to read Psalm 127, verses 1 down to verse 5, and I want you to hear some truths that come out of these verses. Here's Psalm 127, verse 1, Except the Lord build the house, focus there, they labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, focus there, the watchman watcheth but in vain. And so we have this, There's a house and there's a city, and by the way, how the home goes is how the city will go. And so if there are problems at the home level, there will be problems at the city level. Continue on in verse 2, it is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and a fruit of the womb is his reward. Remember Jeremiah's words. It was God who formed that child in the womb. It was God who gave that gift of life to you. 
Children are a heritage. Verse 4, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And so don't waste this gift that God has placed within your trust. Don't waste it. You see the words in verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Don't struggle to go from one psychologist to the next to try to figure out what might be wrong with your child. Instead, entrust them with the Word of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how we can model for our children a godly home. This is going to start, by the way, with you and I, moms and dads. We have to model it. We cannot just say to them things like, do as I say and not as I do. That doesn't work. If you say a man doesn't hit a woman and yet you hit your wife, you modeled it incorrectly. And Junior will learn from you. He will go and do more is caught than is taught. I'll say it again. More is caught than is taught. You have to model it. Show it. Let them see it in your life. But if you say, do as I say and not as I do, instead they're going to say, dad's a hypocrite and I will do what dad did because it worked for dad. Here's what I mean. When you hit your wife, this is in my notes, you hit your wife, she shuts up, Junior observes it, and he knows in his time when he can't get his wife to shut up, he'll punch her and she'll shut up. He just knows pragmatically that it works. Ladies, your daughters will watch as you use the silent treatment or the opposite of it, the 100 miles an hour treatment. And they'll see it work for you and they'll do it too. We've got to model this and we've got to model it right. Look at the words that he says in verse number 4. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man. The children that God has given to you are like arrows. You spend time... Uh, Those of you that have spent time in the village and know what it means to live by the arrows, you know what it means to take time to shape it and make sure that that arrow is straight, make sure that it is pointed, make sure that the head is mounted to the pit pit. God forbid that that comes loose halfway there. You take the time to make sure that the arrow is straight the same way for you and I as parents, moms and dads. We take the time to shape the children that God has put into our hands. And when we let them fly, we let them fly with joy. See the words in verse 4. The arrows in a hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. And then he continues on, happy is the man with a quiver full. The quiver is that basket, if you want to call it that, the basket that he carries on the back. You may Papua New Guinea, you may say, hold him, I'll get a spear hand one time, banara. That's all. I'll line before, I'll put him in the basket on the backside. That's the quiver. All of those arrows go inside of the quiver, and happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. He has a lot of children, and he sends them flying one after another, and there's a joy in sending them out. And then there's a promise and an excitement at the end of verse 5. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So here we have it again. Family and city. You see these going together? If the family's doing well, the city will do well. 
You see the words at the end of verse 5? If the quiver has done well and the arrows have flown well, then that means that the city will do well also. What will happen? They will rise up. The children will rise up and they will speak in the gates. Here's what happens. You and I, as we get older and we fall away from our stronger years, those who have been well trained behind us will come and they will speak with the enemy in the gate as you and I sit back in our rocking chairs, so to speak, and watch them take care of things in our place. I look forward to the day when I'm 70 years old. I look forward to that day. If God will bless me with 70 years, I look forward to that day having passed on the church to somebody else and with joy I sit in the back in a rocking chair and just say things like, we never used to do it that way. I'm looking forward to letting those arrows fly. And young people, I pray that God will raise up arrows out of you. That you will fly straight and you will fly well. And those of us that have molded and shaped you can sit back with joy as you speak with the enemy in the gate. Moms and dads, it is our responsibility to do this. If you do it well, it does not turn out to be a moment of shame like we spoke of last week of rioting and drunkenness in the streets. Instead, we do it well. We model for them. Rearing children is our responsibility. You might remember the words of Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the emphasis lies in the beginning of it. The action verbs of train up the child. It's our responsibility, moms and dads. God put them in our hands. It's our responsibility to lead them in the right way. Let's go ahead and outline for you what I plan to speak over the next few weeks. Today, I'd like to speak to moms and dads about modeling. Next Sunday, I want to have a very unique sermon to children. So I want to encourage you, moms and dads, have your kids here. Get them together with your family. Bring them as close to the front as you possibly can. And next Sunday, moms and dads, I'm going to preach primarily to the children because there's a part of this that falls into their responsibility as well. The next two Sundays after that, I've asked my dad to speak the next two Sundays, one to fathers and the other one to mothers. And so this week and next week, I'll take those two. And then the third week and fourth week, I've asked Papa John to take those. One, a challenge to fathers, and the other one, a challenge to mothers. We need to model this well. And in order to model this well, I believe that we need to model a number of things. There's several things that we need to put as moms and dads in place that our children will see. They'll be able to say, yes, that's how dad did it, and this is how I need to do it. Remember what I said at the beginning, more is caught than is taught. And so one of the things that is so very important for us to model well is repentance. Repentance. Dad, mom, we need to model repentance. Primarily, we need to model repentance for sin. Let's be honest with ourselves, moms and dads, as much as we want our children to think otherwise, we are not sinless. We do sin, and those who are the closest to us see it. You will not hide your sinfulness from your children, and to cover it up does not help. And so we need to model repentance for sin. Now here's the beauty of this. When I model for my kids repentance for my own sin, 
they get to see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of this. For when I repent of sin, there is forgiveness for sin. And so here I come and sit with my children and I talk with them and let them know, listen, I did wrong, I sinned, and I've asked my Heavenly Father to forgive me. You know what I'm teaching them in this moment? I'm teaching them the Gospel. They're getting to see this in my life. Because when they see that the Gospel works for Dad, they realize that the Gospel works for them as well. You know what the Gospel is, right? That I'm not sinless. I am a sinful person born into sin. And because of my sin, I'm separated from a holy God. And I need Jesus to take my sin on the cross, which He already did. Christ went to the cross and He took my sin. And if I but believe in Him, if I put my trust in Jesus, God will make me righteous. So then I can come to Him in repentance. Father, I'm sorry for the sin that I've done. You know the verse, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If any man says that he has no sin, he's a liar. He's deceiving himself. The truth is not in him. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to be modeling this. Dads and moms, we need to model. Show it to our children. Let our children see. God forgives dad. God forgives mom. They need to see this. You'll never pull the wool over their eyes. American statement. Never pull the wool over their eyes. You can't blind your children to the fact that you're a sinner. They need to see you repenting. I'm going to take a moment here for the next part of this, and I want to drill down on one of the sins because I believe that this sin is endemic within our society. They need to see us repent over our anger. They need to see us repent over our anger. Did you ever notice that we tend to be the shortest with the ones with whom we live the closest? We tend to be the shortest with the ones we live the closest. I'll I'll explain that. I have a tendency within my natural man to be the shortest with my wife. I will say things to my wife that I would never say to anybody else. Am I the only one that does that? Like, perhaps if I feel like she isn't completely giving me the benefit of the doubt in the conversation, I'll just shortcut and say something a little bit mean to her. You guys do that too? And then she, look, she's not sinless either. She'll give it back to me. These are moments of our own sinfulness. We tend to be the shortest. If it was somebody else, a random stranger, or somebody that I work with, or somebody that I spend time with elsewise, I would have at least given them the benefit of the doubt and asked them, did you really mean what you just said? But instead, with those who we're the closest, our wives, our spouses, our children, we have the tendency to be the shortest with them. Anger wells up within us. And yet, that's the exact opposite of what Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 told us that we were supposed to do. We've just walked through this in Romans 12. It's the exact opposite. If I'm going to be showing kindly affectionate towards one another, if I'm going to be showing that to somebody else, shouldn't it be the one with whom I live? Shouldn't I show this kind of grace towards my own spouse and towards my own children? Shouldn't I be doing that at the beginning here? Let me read for you Romans 12. You might remember it. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. That's supposed to be going on in our lives. Spouse, you're supposed to be kindly affectioned to your spouse. And you remember the last part of the phrase 
in honor preferring one another. In honor preferring. We said it in the context of the church a few weeks ago, but could you imagine if you brought that same type of relationship into the home? In honor preferring one another. What would you like to do? Well, I prefer what you want to do. No, you, I want to prefer what you want to do. Could you imagine instead of having an argument over we're going to do this, instead it was we're going to have an argument over I'd rather have it the way you want it? Home would be completely different, wouldn't it? We need to be modeling repentance over our anger. It's anger dwells, wells up within us. If you've got that piece of paper in Ephesians chapter 4, would you come over to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at these verses with me? Verse 26. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. I'm talking about modeling this. Ephesians 4 and verse 26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. You notice the phrase, the first three words that he says, Be ye angry. Do you realize that you and I as Christians so often we want to say things like, Oh, anger is sin, so we have to do away with it entirely. No, 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 don't be mistaken. Anger is not sin. In itself, it's not sin. So how can you say that? Remember how Jesus walked into the temple and He saw they were using the house of prayer as a den of thieves? Do you remember that? And do you remember what Jesus did in that moment? He went through, He turned over the tables, opened up the cages, and let the animals go. He did not cross over into sinful anger. You know what sinful anger would have been? Taking an alternator belt to all the Pharisees. That's what would have been sin. And he stayed within righteous anger. And oh, you and I know this so well. It is so easy to slip from righteous anger into sinful anger. It's very easy. What might start off as sinless, you see something's wrong, and it makes your whole body get affected by it, and you know this is wrong, and if you leave it and you don't say anything about it, it's wrong for you to just keep it in. You need to say that's wrong, but when you say that's wrong, be careful about how quickly we can slide over to unrighteous anger. And then we say things that we might regret, or say things that would hurt somebody else, or we throw things that shouldn't be throne and oh friend how easy it is to slip over so notice the words be angry and sin not it's possible to have righteous anger but oh how easy we slip over into sinful anger and when we do within the home how important it is for us to repent get it right within the home let the children hear you say things like i'm sorry for getting angry i should not have done that Dad, you get the opportunity to model this for your children. If you continue in your anger, look at verse 27 and see what it says will happen. Neither give place to the devil. You know what you're doing in your anger? If you're not careful, Dad, you're bringing Satan right into the home. What a terrifying thought. But oh, how we don't think that way. Instead, we think, I got angry and I had every right to get angry because they made me angry. Oh, friend, don't go down that road. We need to be modeling good, godly homes for our children. And one of the things that we'll model for them, yes, I'm a sinful person, and yes, I fall in sin, and yes, sometimes I get angry, and I'm sinfully angry, but i got to tell you, children, it wasn't right for me to do that, and I'm sorry. I'm repenting of that anger. Repentance is so important in our homes, guys. 
How do you do it? Sit them down. Apologize. Don't blame. Own it. I threw the plate, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. You say, I apologized last week, and then I did it again this week. Okay, apologize again. Let your home and your life be an echo of forgiveness. Continue to ask for forgiveness. Continue to repent. Never give up on the gospel transforming your life. Another one is that you need to repent is for your mistakes. So I, I would say this is different from sins because mistakes would be things that you just did and you didn't really mean to do something wrong. It's just things didn't go right. Do you realize that Junior can walk in the house? Let's set up a scenario. Let's say Junior walks in the house, and as he's walking into the house, maybe it's dark, and Junior walks in and he accidentally kicks a saucepan. All right? Complete accident. But you and I know how this plays out, right? So Junior kicks the saucepan, and I don't know, something spills out of it, whatever, and everybody in the house jumps on Junior's case. Am I right? Big sister grabs him by the arm. You want him kind? Mom starts yelling at him, How much blood time? <laughs> Dad hears it. Dad hears it. Junior, you go to the room. You bought a cake tonight. <laughs> Junior gets it from every which way, and it was an accident to start with. Now, let's change the scenario, and it's Dad that walks in. Dad walks in, room's a little bit dark, and Dad accidentally kicks the saucepan, and everybody goes, Whoosh. You know why? Because nobody's got the right to speak into Dad's life. You follow me? And mom sits over on the side and she doesn't know how to handle it. She doesn't know, are you angry when you walked in? Was it an accident? Have no idea. Big sister's over on the other side. She's just eating her two-minute two minute noodles. <laughs> Junior done run off and hid. <laughs> and dad's sitting over on the corner trying to figure out, okay, I don't know why everybody's upset. It was just a saucepan. And nobody says anything about it. Because we make mistakes, own up to them. Repent. Honey, I'm sorry that I kicked that. I didn't mean to do it. And by the way, us guys, we're just kind of thick in the skull. It's all right, guys. We ta- it takes us a few extra minutes to figure this out. I'm the same way. Suddenly I realize it's really quiet in the house. Why is it really quiet in the house? And I trace it back. Oh, yeah, I kicked the saucepan. And how do I make things right? I don't sit in the corner and wait for them to make things right with me. I need to be the one who repents for my mistakes. I'm going to model this. Show an open love within the home. Guys, if you're going to do it for those who are outside of your home, the other brothers and sisters in Christ, you should definitely be doing it for those who are within the home. We need to be modeling repentance. I'll move to the second one that I think that we need to model, and I think that this one is, this was a bit of a surprise for me as I moved to Port Moresby. I did not see this when I lived in Kodidanga, and it was a bit of a surprise here. And I'll just say it like this. There's a misunderstanding of work and an overemphasis on formal certificated education. So if I were to say we need to model well, we need to model a biblical work ethic. A biblical work ethic. I've not spoken much about this in our church, but hopefully today can be a start of a conversation Several years ago, I did an RE class at Barihagua. Had about 140 grade 11 students in that class, and I looked forward to it, enjoyed it. Some of you were in that class. I really enjoyed 
teaching that class week after week. One Wednesday afternoon, I came for the class, and I wanted to make a point, and I asked a question, and the answer came completely opposite of what I expected. The question I asked was this. I asked 140 students, I asked, how many of you have some type of job that you have done that you've gotten paid for in your life? And what I was thinking of was something like maybe you've cut grass for the neighbor or maybe you babysat for somebody that lived down the street or maybe there's some type of work that you've done and you've maybe done some sales, or some marketing or whatever. I said 140 students, how many of you have done some sort of work wherein you got money for it? And the answer out of 140 grade 11 students was zero. Not a single one in that classroom had done any kind of work. Now, here's the thing that blows my mind. Those grade 11 students are doing their best to be grade 12 students. And then they're going to do their best in grade 12. And I'm going to say hats off to them. They're going to do their best. And they're going to do their best to get highest marks that they can in grade 12. Why? So that they can go to uni. And then when they get in uni, so they can get really good marks so that they continue on and they can continue on. Why? So that one day they can get a certificate so that they can, air quotes, go and get a really good job. Who in their right mind is going to hire somebody that has never worked a day in their life? And yet, what we have modeled for our children growing up, we have modeled for them that the ultimate greatest thing that they can do is get that uni certificate. Guys, I think that there's a misunderstanding of work. We think of work as though it's some kind of bad thing. Can I give you some help this morning? Work was instituted by God before the fall of man. Before sin entered into the world, God had already assigned Adam and Eve with work in the garden. Here, I'll share it with you. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Here's what it says, And God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and He said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Now listen to these words, and subdue it. In other words, work the land and make the land work for you. That's what He told them to do. And then he said, and have dominion over the fish of the sea. In other words, make boats and nets and throw the nets out into the water and pull fish in and put hooks on the end of string and get fish out of the sea. And then he said, and have dominion over the fowl of the air. In other words, breed chickens so that they get crazy fat between six and eight weeks old. And you can slaughter them and have protein in your diet. That's what this is. And you can have dominion over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You see, work is not a bad thing. It was in the garden before sin. Work is a good thing. It's just that sweat is a part of the curse. Now we have to add in the sweat and thorns as a part of the curse, but work was already there and work will continue to be there. It is what we're supposed to do. In fact, it was further cemented in the law in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. You might remember these words. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Verse 9, he says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. So here's the idea. You're going to take a rest day and you're going to work for six. This was understood You will work for six days. You need to be reminded to rest on one day. But somehow we tend to get it backwards. We go resting for as much as we possibly can. And by the way, we live in the most prosperous generation of history. 
wherein we can rest. But we should be working. It's encouraged in the books of wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And as I talk about modeling this, Dad, when you get up to go to work in the morning, you want to know how to model work well for your kids? When you get up and mom is making breakfast for you, one, be thankful for her making breakfast. But then in front of the kids, don't badmouth the job. Oh, I have to go to work again today. I don't really like going to work. I can't stand my coworkers. Instead, you can model well. I get the privilege to go to work, and God's given me the health for it. And I'm going to go to work, and even though my coworkers may not get along with me, I'm going to do the best that I can do, because whatsoever my hand findeth to do, I'm going to do it with all my might. I'm going to do it as unto the Lord. I'm not going to be an eye pleaser today. I'm going to work, and I'm going to work as unto the Lord. This is a modeling thing that you and I as parents can do for our children. They don't get to go to work with you and see you working, but they get to hear you talking before you go to work and when you come home. And if you talk about work as though work is a bad thing, guess what? Junior's going to grow up hating work. And all he's going to want to do is get a certificate so that perhaps somebody will give him big money, although he's never done work in his life. It might be a really good idea to start giving him some chores. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10, it was this idea of work was commended again in the epistles. Here's what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. He said, for even when we were among you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So if you sit at the house and you expect someone else to feed you, and you're a dad, shame on you. You sit at the house and you expect someone else to go and work and get the money and bring it home, shame on you. I'll repeat Paul's words here. It's better that the food plates skip you at dinner time. Time mama scale him, we'll get a plate. More better one blade no come to you. That's not custom. I know. That's Bible. And that is, by the way, it's a scourge within our society. You say, but pastor, there's not jobs to be had. Oh, there are plenty of jobs for people that want them. There are... Brother Eric and I have sat down with several people recently, and we have discussed this very topic. There are bottles... And there are aluminum cans lining the roads everywhere. And aluminum right now is being bought at the highest rates in a long time. And if somebody really, truly cared, they could get a bag and walk the street and just fill it up with cans. But if you don't want to do that, you're welcome to stay at home and either sponge off of someone that's called a a leech. Don't be a leech. Or you can go the Bible way and starve. If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Now, moms and dads, how do you model this? How do you model this? Moms and dads, how do you model this? Because I have a heart that bleeds as I watch as people who have compassion on others perpetuate the problem. And I watch as somebody comes and just freeloads off of you. Here, can I help you with how do you, how do you handle this? So, dad... Perhaps this evening, call the family together for family devotions. It's 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. That's the one you want, all right? And you gather the family together. It's time to eat. Tell them we're not going to have devotions after we eat today. We're going to have devotions before we eat. Get everybody together. 
and you read this verse, and then you discuss with the family. What does this look like? It looks like every single one of us is working. Tomorrow, I'm getting on the bus and I'm going to work. Mom has her work that she's doing. Big sister, you're going to have your work. You're going to scrape the coconuts so that we can have coconuts in our meal tomorrow night. Junior, you're going to break the firewood and you're going to do that. And Uncle Freeloader, you're going to go out there and cut the grass in the yard. And when I get home tomorrow from work, if the coconut isn't scraped, you're not going to eat. And if the veranda isn't swept and the firewood isn't done, you're not going to eat. And Uncle Freeloader, if you haven't cut the grass, you're welcome to starve as well. He's going to call you on custom. Call him on Bible. Guys, we don't have to keep this going. Now here's the danger. If you keep it going, you know what you're modeling for your children? You're modeling that freeloading is the way to go. And far be it from your child to grow up and be one of them. How the home goes is how the city will go. And I think we've seen the homes are going a certain way and now we know where the city's going. If we can model this well as homes, let's model well a biblical understanding of work. Thirdly, Let's model well. How can we model, or what can we model? We can model a glad, open-handed living. Glad, open-handed living. You're right there in Ephesians 4 already. Look at verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, work, working with his hands the thing which is good, and it's not so that he can get rich. Look at the end of verse 28 so you can see what will you do with this. That he may have to give to him that needeth. So here's what we're doing. We're living with open hands and we're doing it with a glad-heartedness. I'm glad that God has given into my hands so that I can give to others. This is a way for our children to learn. They won't learn to give if you don't give. You have to model this for them. Show it to them. Financially giving. When God blesses, you give. Let your children see you giving. What do you do with your money? Teach them. Mom and dad work and we give. When they're really, really little, it looks like when mom and dad are coming into church. Here's an opportunity. When mom and dad are coming into church, when they're really little, it's a 20 toya that you put into their hand and you let them put that 20 toya into the offering plate. That's normal. But the day will come when they're no longer little, little, and they can start earning money. I'm going to hit two birds with one stone here. Teach them how to work. Teach them how to give. We did this with our girls. I remember our girls somewhere around five, six years old. Becky started doing this, put a list of chores on the refrigerator. And every day they had to do everything on the list. The things on the list, some of them made sense, some of them were a bit silly. But they had to do all of them. Wash the dishes. If it's a laundry day, help with the laundry. You have to sweep the veranda. You have to sweep your room, make your bed. One that I always thought was funny was 10 minutes play with a dog. That was Becky's idea. 10 minutes play with a dog. And you know how kids are, right? Ten minutes of play with a dog because it, like if it wasn't a chore and you said, hey, just go play with a dog, the kid's going to have a great time. But because it's a chore, I have to go play with a dog now. <laughs> I remember six-year-old Ariel sitting on, a ver- sitting on the veranda steps, sitting on the front steps. Come here, dog. <laughs> For ten minutes, Becky would set an alarm every day. And she'd sit there, Mom, how much longer? 
And at the end of the week, if they had done all their chores every day, at the end of the week, Becky gave them two kina. You know what it was? It was teaching them how to work. It was teaching them how to give. Because now they've got two kina. That money belongs to her, to Ariel. That's her two kina. What, does, now what are we going to do? We're going to teach her how to tithe. We're going to teach her how to save. And so out of the two kina, the offering plate's going to come around on Sunday, Kodidanga Baptist Church. The offering plate's going to come around. Ariel has 20 toya. That's her tithe. She's going to put that in the offering plate. She earned it. She's going to put it in the offering plate. And she learns it's better to give than it is to receive. Now she gets the opportunity to put that money in the offering plate. Now what's going to happen with the other one kina 80? Now you know she could run down to the market with it and blow it really fast. Somebody's going to have a PK for 50 toya. There's going to be any number of things that she can throw that money away on. But she wanted a bike. You say, but pastor, a bike is 300 kina. It's going to take her about 14 years to get that. (laughs) Hang on. Grandma sent money at Christmas. Guess what grandma's money went to? Ariel's envelope. And week after week, Ariel gets to watch as her envelope is growing and she's watching her savings grow. Oh, mom and dad could have bought her a bike just as easy as we wanted to. But we wanted her to learn. And week after week, she puts into her savings and then the day comes when she wants to get the bike and now she's going to pay for the bike with her own money. Now, you ready for a very amazing thing that happens when Ariel goes to buy the bike with her own money? She has 300 kina that it's taken her about a year to save now. When she goes to buy the bike, now she's torn. Because I have to give up everything that I've saved in order to get that bike. I don't know if I wanted the bike. (laughs) Suddenly there's a change of mindset. We teach our children to live with a glad-hearted open-handedness. Giving. And by the way, there's also another aspect of us modeling well with our own glad-hearted open-handedness. The day will come when they grow up and it's time for them to get married and move out. And if we hold on to them, we're not modeling. Genesis 2.24 For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The day will come when you, with a glad heart, like Psalm 127, pull the arrow out of the quiver and send it to fly. With an open hand, you let them go. Model it well, moms and dads. Don't bury your head in the sand and say, well, it'll never happen. I don't want to talk to them about this. Oh, no. Let it be a regular part of your conversation. We said that in our dating series. Dating is not about you finding the right one. Dating is about moms and dads having regular conversations with their children about God's going to provide a good one for you and I want to be a part of that. Let me give you some tips. Moms and dads to the children and then moms and dads to each other. Some tips. What can you do for your children? Look at them with pleasure. Look at them with pleasure. Kids are seeking your approval. They want your attention, Mom. That's why Junior pulls the saucepans out and beats on them. Because he wants your attention. Dad, you walk through the door and Junior comes running up to you and starts pulling on your trousers and starts talking to you a hundred miles an hour and you don't understand what he's saying. He wants your attention. One of the sweetest memories I have as a five-year-old and I remember being five and my dad walking in the house. He hasn't always had a beard. All right? We've, 
Dad and I have only grown beards in recent years to show that we're men. <laughs> I remember being five years old and Dad, would, Dad walked in the house and I remember him picking me up, one of my favorite memories, and I would put my hand up on his face where he had a five o'clock shadow and I would rub my hands across his face. You know what I'm thinking in that moment? I've got my dad's attention. He's paying attention to me. Your children want your attention. So you can give them your pleasure. Give them a smile. Let them see that, that you care. But right now there's a scourge that's happening in our generation. And that's the, called a mobile device. And that mobile device is biting in two different directions. One direction... Junior walks in the house and he wants your attention, but mom, you're too tied up and I don't know what it is that's on your phone. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's Candy Crush. And Junior's trying to get your attention and all you're saying is, "Uh uh-huh, 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 and you're not paying attention at all. Or dad, maybe you're answering some emails and you're just seeing, Junior, don't, don't you know I'm busy with something? And it happens the opposite direction too because Junior has figured out that that thing will give him all the attention he wants. And so that is the number one question right now for three to five-year-olds. Please, can I play with that? Can I play with that? Will you give it to me? And they'll sit over on the side happily and watch YouTube videos. Did you realize that if the Internet was a building, a brick-and-mortar building, there would probably be a sign on it that said, minors are not allowed. And yet, we regularly hand it to three to five-year-olds. Oh, this is a terrifying thought. Let your children have your pleasure. Let them see you smile. Take a few few minutes every day to pay attention to their creations. And I say creations. Because there's a really good chance that Junior's been over in the corner drawing a picture. And while he was drawing the picture, he was thinking of you and what you're going to be like, what are you, how you're going to smile when he shows you that picture. Or maybe he was in the backyard making something and he can't wait to show you what he's made. And it hasn't turned out anywhere near what he was thinking it was going to be, but he wants your attention. He wants you to see it. And one of the saddest things that I hear on a regular basis from school parents is things like, I'm really busy. I'm so busy taking care of things. One day my kids will understand. And the truth is, no, they won't. They'll never understand. They want your attention. You can involve them in your own roles. So mom, are you cooking? Grab an extra bowl and let your daughter whip up something next to you. It might not be edible when it's finished, but let her participate in your roles. Dad, you're doing some physical activity. Let your son be involved in that physical activity with you. You're breaking firewood. Have him come out and break firewood. I know he's probably going to chop his leg. He'll be okay. Give him the dull one. Let your children be involved. One of my favorite memories is Ariel at four years old. I took her to Kodidanga with me at four years old. Becky was in Karama, had not been up to Kodidanga yet. We were going up to mark out the property for where the mission station would be. Had a land officer, a couple police officers went to witness. I took Ariel. Ariel was four. I look back on that. That's just bizarre that I took a four-year-old to the jungle with me. And we went up there, and I have great fond memories of walking the boundary. That meant we had to hack our way through the jungle. And there's Ariel, four years old, 
her feet in my back pockets and her hands on my shoulders. And she'll still tell you to this day about going to the jungle with Dad. That wasn't a great idea that God gave me in some moment of genius. I'm just thankful that I was able to involve her in that role. Let your kids be a part of your life. And let them know that you love them. Your Heavenly Father displayed that love to you through giving Jesus on the cross. Make sure that you show that love to your children as well. Now how about spouses towards one another? And I'll be quick here. How can you model well in your home for your children? Spouses towards one another, give the gift of your words. Give the gift of your words. Dad, your wife wants to hear from you. When she asks, how was your day? She wants more than one sentence. She wants to hear you talk about details. Give her the gift of your words. Let her know what was going on. Let her know. Here, ladies, I'm going to help you out for just a moment. Guys, tell her your feelings. That will be a blessing to her. And ladies, let him hear words of affirmation from you. How about another one? Protect your privacy. Protect the privacy and the dignity of your marriage. There are things that happen within the home that don't belong being spread to other people. And then even bring it down a little bit closer. Perhaps mom is correcting one of the children. Protect the dignity of your marriage by doing this. Mom is correcting the child. Dad, you see this and you think, wait, she's mistaken on this. Don't go and undermine her right there in that moment. Protect the dignity of your marriage. So there's something not right. Mom's correcting the child. Just give it a moment. In privacy, you can talk with your spouse. But if you correct your spouse in front of the child, you know what you're doing to the child? You're telling the child she doesn't matter. And by the way, I hear a phrase sometimes, especially within blended homes, things like, that one's my child, you don't get to correct them. There's no such thing as my child. You're a blended home now. They're your children. Together, raise them to love Jesus. Together, model what a home looks like so that when they go on, they don't have to have a blended home. Oh, let's model it well. Protect the privacy and dignity and then back each other up. Don't undermine each other. Let me close with this thought. There's a thing called generational sin. I do counseling regularly. And I think a lot about generational sin. I'll share with you the verse from Exodus 20 and verse 5 where I get this. And then I'll explain what I mean by generational sin. In Exodus 20 and verse 5, the Lord is speaking. He's giving the law. And He says, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. I do counseling regularly. And I'll give an example, a type of counseling. If I'm counseling somebody about anger, they've got a problem with anger, usually by the time they come for counseling, it's a major problem. One of my first questions that I ask that person when I sit down, I get the same answer 99 times out of 100. Here's the question I ask them. Was your dad an angry man? That's generational sin. 99 times out of 100, 
A very angry person will say, yes, my dad was a really angry person. And most likely, if you had the opportunity to interview that dad, you could ask the same question, was your dad angry? And guess what? Most of the time, it was. And by the way, it's not just anger. It works across the board on almost every sin. Stealing, greed, adultery, generation after generation. Here's what happens. It gets modeled poorly by dad, and the kids pick it up and do the same thing. They do it in their generation, and they pass it on to the next generation. And I hope that that strikes every one of us as a terrifying thought. Because I don't want my kids repeating what I had problems with. I heard it said once, and this has come to be a go-to for me when I do counseling. I heard it said like this. Every believer will do one of three things when it comes to generational sin. Either they will perpetuate a generational sin. In other words, whatever it was that dad did, I'll just keep doing it. Or they'll start a new generational sin. Dad never did this one, but I'm going to do it. And because I do it, now my kids will do it. But lastly, the one that I hope and pray would be the case for our homes here is that by the transformational gift of the power of the gospel in your life, that you can put a stop to generational sin. Brothers and sisters, may we be those who are marked by the gospel change in our lives so that those sins that came before us don't have to go to the third and fourth generation. Instead, they can be stopped with us. See, there's no place where you get to say, me dislike mine. No, the gospel should be changing you. You know this like in mind time, good news for Christ, he sent us in life for you. You need to be changing. And so let the gospel do its transformational work in your life. And you pray like your child's life depends on it. God, do a change in my child's life so that the modeling that I do will be like the arrows. I'm shaping this one's life and I'm putting him straight and I'm going to let him fly. And when he flies, God, make him fly with strength. So that the day will come when I will sit back on my rocking chair and they'll speak with the enemies in the gate. Father, I pray for our homes. Oh Lord, how easy it is for us to do nothing. And our homes to follow the way of homes of our forefathers. And we spiral further into sin and all of its effects. And as the home goes, so goes the city. God, I take this moment right now to pray for our city. What a wicked city we live in. We do not deserve the rising of Your Son upon us day after day. And our city is no different than any other city on the planet. We only receive Your new grace day by day because of Your goodness. You are a wonderful God. And so, Lord, I pray for our city. I pray for our homes. And, Lord, I pray that we as moms and dads would not just sit back idly and just hope that things go well for our children, but instead that we would intentionally model repentance, a biblical work ethic. God, I pray that we would model the right way for our children to follow You. And, Lord, I pray that we would do it with a glad, open-hearted, giving hand. So, Lord, I thank you for your goodness upon us. May your name be glorified through our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we love you.
Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.